Hey, I'm Andrew Hales. Welcome to another edition of Chatting With. Today I'm here with Allie. Hi, everyone. <laughs> thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're an orphan. Yeah, it's a bit of a charged word. Um, I guess you could call me a self-proclaimed orphan. I guess an orphan is really anyone whose parents are no longer living. Um, so I guess to some extent, you know, we all become orphans at one point or another. Right. Just so happened to happen to me a little earlier than it does for most people. Yeah, what happened? So I lost my dad when I was 15 and my mom passed away when I was 19. Um, there was a lot that happened in between and, and leading up to both of those. And my mom's battle was a little bit longer. Um, she had a few different kinds of cancers. So there was really a you know long period of time where I'd lost both my parents when I was pretty young. Right. He, uh, you mentioned in your email your dad was a professor. Yeah, my dad was um, a physicist. So he got his degree from Stanford and he taught physics. He also wrote several dummies books. He was doing talks, things like that. Um, so he would, by what a lot of people would consider, was a pretty smart man. Okay, and then what started his decline? You know, it's a little bit always hard to like put your finger on that was one thing. Mm. If I had to look back with hindsight, I would say that it was a combination of leading a emotionally unhealthy lifestyle for a long time, not having a support system, not having healthy coping mechanisms. Um, and, you know, it could start with something as from when I was 10, 11, something like that. I remember he started drinking a lot more, you know, a few more beers a night. Yeah. Um, one thing leads to the next, it goes to Ambien. And then from Ambien to opioids. Um, and I think it was a lack of really feeling happy with his life, feeling like he had something that he wanted to put his life into. I think he felt quite a bit like he was a failure, given he felt like he was a smart man and he should have accomplished more than what he did. Um, and he didn't know how to cope with that. I think you mentioned something like the 2008 crash had something to do with it. He lost his job. Yeah, um, I think he was never actually really the breadwinner of the family. Um, my mom, who didn't have a college degree, she was she worked in real estate and she was making a lot more money before the 2008 recession. And I think what, a lot what, of what was she doing? She does title insurance for real estate transactions. Mm -hmm. So someone wants to make a real estate transaction, like buying a home you need to insure the title of that. Mm -hmm. So it works similar to being a realtor. You get commission off of each escrow. Um, and so she was doing really well. And of course, in 2008, as a lot of people were affected, real estate industry really took a hard hit. And her income, I mean, it pretty much went from a third of what it was before. So I think that forced both my parents, you know, they didn't have the money to kind of buy themselves out of their problems that they had before 2008 had happened. So I think they had a choice to deal with certain things and not, you know, kind of buy luxury out of it or to have to face the consequences of that. And, and they did. So. Uh, they start and your dad couldn't find work afterward and your mom couldn't find work. 
My dad, I think, could have found work, but he was too proud to accept any job. Um, hmm. He is also a little bit lazy in nature. He didn't want to work really long hours. Hmm. And so, yeah, he, he struggled a lot to find work. Do you feel like they uh, struggled with depression? Certainly. I yeah. would almost feel comfortable making the argument that very few people turn to alcohol and drugs as a coping mechanism that aren't dealing with really depressing thoughts on a daily basis. Did they try to get help for it, like therapy or anything? Medication? Not really ever. Um, and I, I think probably a lot of other people my age can relate to this. The generation that they were raised in, and they were a little bit older than my friend's parents, that kind of baby boomer generation. Mm -hmm. um, it's like my parents, yeah. Yeah, they don't want to talk about it. You know, they don't want to go get help. They don't want to get the the professional help that maybe they need to talk about these things. They don't want to admit that to other people. Hmm. Your dad passed away when you were about 15? Yep, I was 15. And it was an overdose? He had committed suicide. Um, it was pretty, I have some regrets about the way that everything happened. None of us, we, you know, after he had started doing meth, which is a really, really rough drug, he'd pretty much turned into a completely different person, you know, yeah. physically and mentally. Um, and so my brother and I, and a lot of other family members just cut him out of our lives. You know, the police phone calls all the time the getting bailed out of jail, the, I mean, he was homeless, so he was just kind of that, I, oh, like, I tell like people. shameless, have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. exactly, like Frank, <laughs> um, yeah. and shameless, and, and, you know, even though he was a smart man that just a few years before kind of had what people would think a lot going for him, you know, just a few years later and, and um, a stint of meth addiction, and he was that guy that you see on the street that you would, you know, cross across to the other sidewalk just to avoid. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating that he was a Stanford professor in physics and then became, uh, and he, he became a meth addict and went down that road. Do you, and addiction's always kind of been, it still is a mystery, you know, but yeah. um, I guess, and then so afterward, your mom started getting worse and worse. Or was that your mom? Your mom never did your mom have problems with drugs? Yeah. OK. It was a big part of I actually got emancipated when I was 15, which is a legal term for you don't have a legal guardian, even though you're not 18 yet. So you have to go to the court and ask to be emancipated. You have to prove that you have your own income and that you can support yourself. Um, and one of the reasons why I did that was because my mom was also pretty incapacitated at the time as well. She is a really high functioning addict. I don't think, you know, you would see her and she was still working and doing her thing. And I don't think anyone would have had any idea unless you saw what was going on at home. But what was her, was she doing the meth too? She wasn't, um, her things were opioids. So you know, take that to go to sleep at night kind of thing. But she would have these opioid-induced delusions. And as a 14-year-old, you know, you're trying to convince your mom that there aren't, like, people in the walls. And it's really confusing to have to do that, you know. You just want to go to sleep. You're, 
I didn't understand why that was happening. You know, I was trying to use logic of like, look, there's no one here. How could they fit in the walls? Um, and so there's a lot of those kinds of moments before I realized, oh, she's having a drug problem as well. I need to go ahead and, you know, try to take control of my own life the best I can. Yeah, that's crazy. 15. And so you got a job somewhere? I did. Yeah. It's, I mean, what I kind of give credit for did so much for me. It's the company I still work at now, um, Eight Minute Solar Energy. And I called, you know, the CEO at the time and I had explained what was happening. They were a family friend of sorts. And his wife said, when can you start? Tomorrow? And I said, yes, I would love to. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest is kind of history since. But if it wasn't for that, I would have been in a much different position. Um, so they're kind of like your godmother and godfather. Completely. Yeah. 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 Everyone at the company has really supported me in that in that facet. So how, I'm very thankful. How old are you now? I'm 22. And you lost your mom when you were 19. Yep. To cancer? Yeah. So she had, I think I, you know, a couple months after my dad passed away is when the whole cancer journey started. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, could not have been worse timing. She was just starting to get her life back on track and working on her own addiction. And she was doing a great job. And then boom, my dad passed away. And then immediately after that, she got the diagnosis of breast cancer. Mm. And she, you know, she got the double mastectomy and everything. But cancer is i mean everyone has their own experience it never really left her body so for the next you know four years after that she had cancer of one form or another and we were always fighting whatever that was so it ended up being liver cancer but it was a journey that started quite a few years before man um this company so do you is that where you where you go to for Thanksgiving for the holidays usually with this this godmother and godfather? You know, it's a bit of a. I, I've kind of. Do you have siblings? I do. Yeah, okay. I have an older brother, so we always like to try to spend holidays together. Although I will say we we don't holidays were kind of my mom's thing. She was always really into them, and so I think to some extent we've kind of acknowledged it. It's a little painful for us to mm -hmm. have to do that and so we don't really celebrate but we spend the day together okay and we'll go to different people um depending we don't really have like a set these are the people we go with um but we have a lot of people in our lives that always offer okay where do you think you'll go this year this year well with covid not far yeah. oh yeah duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i don't i might not even go to Utah. Yeah, where are you going? <laughs> well, I usually go to Utah, and to that's where most of my family is. But I, I hear Utah's flaring up really bad. Um, yeah, COVID's nuts. Has this year been? Uh, how's this year? How's twenty twenty been for you? At like eight? Is it eight minute solar? Yep. Why is it called that? So, um, cool fun fact about the name: it takes eight minutes for a photon or a sun sun ray to reach to go from the sun to the earth okay so our whole thing is it takes eight minutes for the sun to reach the earth we take it from there so we do utility scale solar development okay like uh, replacing electricity with solar stuff in in people's houses 
so uh, it's utility scale so that would be residential um which okay. is what most people think of so we're like the solar farms that you see from a plane so we do really large scale solar and then we sell energy to utilities like ledwp or pg and e you um, sell like energy units to them we sell the energy as it's being so the project exists as itself and then we sell the energy as it's being generated to a utility so when you turn your light on, the mm -hmm. utility is sourcing that energy from somewhere. Um, and historically, it's been like a coal power plant or, you know, a natural gas, some power plant somewhere is selling energy to the utility so that your light can turn on. Hmm. Um, so instead of buying from a fossil fuel plant, they're buying from us and it's renewable energy. Wonderful. Is it more pricey? Probably. At first it was, yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of financial incentives tax-wise and, and in other ways that we're trying to make, you know, as with anything that's environmental or good for the environment, it always starts off as needing a little bit of an economic push. But it's actually reached the point now where we're cheaper than fossil fuels in a lot of, in a lot of areas. Okay. Um, climate change is real, right? I, yeah, <laughs> if you ask me, I would say yes. Um, and anyone that doesn't think so, I would encourage them to, you know, spend a little bit of time reading. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have some friends that still don't think it's real. And um, and I told them, like, it doesn't make sense. Why? It's because it's, it's so inconvenient, you know, for the economy and for everyone, you know, whatever. Um, like, what's, like, the biggest argument you could give to a climate denier, climate change denier? Um, if I had to talk to someone, I would say, look, you can call it what you want, climate change, call it something else, call it the great change, um, you know, put whatever name you want on it. The earth is changing, you know, our environment is changing, you're looking at species extinction, you're looking at sea levels rising, you're looking at temperatures rising, you're looking at climates becoming more dry, and these are things, real things that we can observe. Um, and if you don't want to have to look too far, you don't have to, right? We can look in Los Angeles County and see the fires around us and, and evidence that's close to home that things are changing. I mean, I've lived in California all my life, and I can certainly say that where I grew up is a really high fire risk area now, not something anyone was concerned about or talked about when I was younger. So you can see it pretty close to you if you just you know want to open up your eyes a little bit i think there's impacts of it all around us okay so obviously your teen years were hard yeah what were some ways you coped you know it's a good question i if you would have asked me this question when i was a teenager i would have had like a long list of uh, these are all the things i'm doing right mm -hmm. looking back now as an adult there's no i didn't do a lot of coping i did some surviving but when you're a teenager all this just feels like so much you don't really process anything mm. um it was too much for me to process really and so i think what i tell people is we're not expected to understand everything right away and process things right away it's it's a lot emotionally and it's going to take a long time that instead we have to find things they're going to keep us moving forward despite and and so for i think me as a teenager i fell into this job and it, it kind of became my coping mechanism i put so much energy and time and love into my career and 
for a lot of reasons. One, for me, it was the way out. It was a way to ensure that I would have a good life despite everything that had happened. And it felt like my journey to the future. And two, I mean, it was rewarding and it challenged me and it, it, it gave me a lot of hope. So I think finding something that you can be a little bit hopeful about in the future, whether it's related to what you're trying to deal with or not, is the coping strategy I employed. And um, I think it's, you know, a healthy coping strategy. Uh, you're a mathematician? Math major, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about mathematician. Well, yeah, <laughs> what, is, what does that even mean? What does a mathematician do? Well, <laughs> when I think of mathematician, I would think of... Um, like Terrence Tao, he's at UCLA. He's really well known, and I mean, I not no that you should know him, is, yeah. <laughs> so. but yeah, he's an incredible mathematician of of our times, and he's like a real math genius. Um, What's that like? Why? Like what? You know, it's a little it, hard to explain. I'm, I'm, well, I, I just might not be smart enough to understand. You I'm know? not smart enough to understand either. So. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I guess that's, it's not a very rewarding career being a mathematician because you have to try to explain to people why what you're doing matters. Yeah. But math, you know, in, in truth, it hasn't changed a whole lot. You know, there's, we've reached a little bit of a limit, but at really advanced levels, it's changing all the time. And Terrence Tao has contributed to a lot of that. You got this job at 15 at 8 Minute Solar, and you were getting coffee probably, right? At first, yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, yeah, that was my first day. Oh. Um, bit of a funny story. They, you know, in hindsight now, I'm a little mortified. <laughs> they asked me to bring coffee to everyone that was in this meeting room. There was about 20 people. There was a really big meeting that day. Mm -hmm. um, I d I'd never done that before. So I poured all the coffee into the mugs and then brought out 10 full mugs. And anyone that knows anything about coffee knows, like, of course you don't want, you know, coffee that's been sitting there in a cold mug for an hour is not very good. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, you probably never had coffee. I didn't, I didn't start drinking coffee till I was like 19. Yeah. No, definitely did not. So. Um, so <laughs> thankfully they didn't fire me for that on the yeah, first yeah. day. Um, and they, you know, then I got to do kind of administration in the company, you know, answering the phones, things like that. Okay. Um, and then there was a really great guy. I think he was at the time our VP of engineering. Mm -hmm. And he kind of offered to help me um, and kind of train me on engineering things. And that was really where I feel like my teeth sunk into like, wow, I have something here because what happened after my dad died, I went through a little bit of a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. um, I did not want to be at school. I did not want to be around my friends. I felt like they didn't understand. I didn't feel like I could have anyone to talk to. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not their fault at all. I mean, what do you, when you're 16, what do you say to someone that's going through something like their dad being addicted to meth and then committing suicide? And I felt really uncomfortable around my peers. And so this job for me was a fresh start yeah that was really needed like wow my my future is not over you know mm -hmm. um i can still work really hard here and i can still go to college and do all these things that i hoped i would be able to do one day um and so that was where it took off and and from engineering i worked in that for a while and and it's kind of blossomed a little bit from there 15 i mean that time did you reach out to counselors or anyone for therapy for help i didn't until i was 17 okay um like at school 
You know, my, so where I grew up was pretty religious with the exception of, I would say, you know, almost all my friends went to church every weekend. Where'd except you grow for, up? It's called El Dorado Hills. It's halfway between San Francisco and Tahoe. So it's like the rest stop that you would stop at if you were on your way to Lake Tahoe. Okay. Um, and a lot of people there are pretty religious, not overtly like the South, but, you know, go to church and have Christian values. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, my parents weren't, and so I didn't grow up in a household like that. And so I think that contributed to a little bit of feeling out, like the black sheep already, and this just added more to that. So I didn't feel like I had a lot of people to talk to. The counselors that I did talk to and the teachers I did talk to did their best. But then at the same time, they also, I mean, I, it felt a little bit like no one knew what to say to me, which is fine. You know, I've made my peace with that. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if I would have known what to say to me. Like I, me as an adult now, I don't know if I would know what I would have needed to hear at the time. So. So you're not, you're still not religious now? You know, I went through, <laughs> I tried it on for size when I was like 14 hmm. before my father had passed away. But when things were pretty bad, um, I would not, I mean, I consider myself a spiritual person, but I wouldn't consider myself aligned with a specific religion. It definitely, I mean, there's some really nice thoughts in it. It definitely got me through some hard times to feel like there was a reason for everything and there was someone that cared and someone that had a bigger plan and you know, someone that understood and knew my struggles. And those were really nice thoughts to have. And yeah, I just think, uh, prayer is a form of meditation and it's perfectly healthy. Yeah. It helps a lot of people. Um, and it's probably just, you know, <laughs> whichever religion it is, it's the same God, et cetera. I think it's really important to feel like there's a reason for things when things are rough. I think it's a really um, underappreciated feeling mm -hmm. that, you know, you have deep inside of it's okay, there's a reason, things will be fine. And I think religion promotes that and it's a really great thing. I would encourage people who are in a situation where they feel like the cards are stacked against them or they're not really sure what to do or how to cope with what they're dealing with in life to really try to find something healthy, work, exercise, a challenge for them um, to really be able to move forward and be excited about life again. And, and once you get a little bit of that, it gets easier and easier every day and not to feel like you have the whole weight of the world and need to cope with everything right away because it, it's a long process and it's a careful balance between, you know, living every day and living long term. Um, and so I would just encourage people to find something that makes them feel happy and excited about the future and it'll take them a long way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I really appreciate it's having the time to talk to you. Yeah, it was good to hear your story. Um, let us know what you think about this in the comments. Uh, check out, oh, do you want me to shout out anything? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have a... Instagram or I don't know. Instagram, yeah, it's my name, Allie D. Gunther. Okay. Um, and whichever else, all her info is in the description. And thanks for watching. I'll see you next week. <laughs>